0: Well, oh, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 conversation where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week. Please subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. And thanks to my podcasting partner and co-host, Patrick, from PullString Press for this great studio. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Mark. I heard blips in the music. Uh, you know what? I think I could live with a couple of blips. Right, our our right. listeners love love us. The behind the scenes. They like yes, to see the, be- right. the, the flaws. Exactly. The with, It's raw. This That's is raw. Okay, raw, raw well, then radio. I won't
1: replace it, and I'll let everybody hear
0: it. Yes, please do that. And I would love you to meet... Theo Stefan or Stephen, or how do I say that? I thought it was Stefan. Thanks for getting
1: that cleared up before we went on air, Mark. No,
0: that's part of the rawness. Pro tip.
1: Is that what we're going for now? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, I didn't know that's where we're
0: at. Now, Theo, you drove in from the San Inez Valley, is that correct?
1: Yes,
2: Los Olivos.
0: Los Olivos. And we were just, we just spent four days up at Lavender Hill Ranch at a retreat which is it's a, a home in between uh, the Chumash Casino and Solvang. But that part of the world is beautiful. We've I am got,
2: familiar with that property. <laughs> it's great. It,
0: it, so we have listeners in 42 countries. Tell them about the San Ynez Valley.
2: Wow. Um, well, I can say that it is a place of paradise. It's a place of... Certain fortitude, and for me, coming from the Midwest Uh and finding it, it is... It's a slice of heaven, and at the same time, it's a, a certainly a slice of resilience in life. You know, there's a lot going on up there relative to the drought and um, farming, and 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 people coming in and wanting entertainment as well as a lifestyle. So, um, but it's it's really a beautiful and wonderful, magical place.
0: We had Doug Marjoram on the show recently, and you know, Doug and sure, and uh, he was he really took us to school on the geography, right? And how the, I I learned the word transverse mountain range Mm -hmm. uh, from him. Sure, yes. Happy Canyon and and all of that. That's why we can
2: grow olives there. Right? Yeah. So
0: so let's talk about that. So your organization, it's not organization, is it organization, business? Global Gardens sounds like this huge big (laughs) thing. Tell tell me where where the name come from.
2: Well, I've been fortunate to travel a lot prior to becoming a farmer, which I've been doing uh, gratefully now for the last uh, 20 years or so. I owned a graphic design firm, and ah. I am a graphic designer. In the I Midwest? love Design, yes. And I acquired a lot of work in Hollywood and got some magical accounts that put me out this way, and I started renting cars and driving up to Santa Barbara and then <sighs> a little farther up to the San Inez Valley, yeah. and I ended up literally running out of gas in Los Olivas when there wasn't gas nope. station there yes with a very silly pretentious uh, convertible and got pushed to the pump and looked at a real estate magazine and it's corny but but true so i, I fell in love right started. right there yeah boom, in boom. the mid 1990s mhm
0: oh my gosh and so what did you, so okay cuz i have a similar story of of landing here in 1972 so you the seed was planted how quickly did that bear fruit for you
2: uh, 2 years
0: Took two years. Mm -hmm. And what did you decide you wanted to do? We know what you do now, but did you figure that out then?
2: Pretty much, you know. um, Again, another really corny um, self-love-hate story. I was walking down (laughs) one of the beautiful streets of Santa Barbara and saw an olive on the ground. My parents are from Greece. I was raised on olive oil and I looked at that olive and Looked at my blue jeans and brushed it off and popped it in my mouth and immediately spewed it out and um, I should <laughs> and I thought oh my god how could this have defied me this way this is my heritage you know and so um, I decided, I started doing some research and the, I just looked at the beauty of olive trees of course I've been to Greece and and traveling and and relative to naming the company Global Gardens it, it kind of all came there with that with that seed and that spewing uh, because I love California and I love developing different flavors and entertaining and cooking and growing and um, healthy lifestyle and, and all of those things that that go along for, for myself with with travel and what had prior, in prior years been uh, travel for work and travel for enlightenment um, became became global gardens.
0: So farming. Did, had you ever done any kind of farming, like, I mean, tomatoes in the backyard or things like that?
2: Um, not really, but when I was eight years old, I started my first business selling American See, seeds.
0: And why, Patrick, so, why is it we have every, people sitting here, it's six, yeah. seven, eight, or nine years old. That's is, all you do. You,
1: you you just, you draw in people who are really into child labor. And <laughs> <just> right?
2: <laughs> no, it was, I used to read comic books, mm-hmm. and in the back of comic books, there were those ads, you know, hey, kids, make money this summer, and I was like, well, I want to make money this summer, and and it was soliciting door-to-door selling American seeds, and I yeah I loved flowers, I loved fruits, vegetables, yep. I love to garden, um, my, my father was a, a carpenter, cabinet maker, mm. immigrant, um, my mom was a busy mom, and they didn't pay a lot of attention to me jumping on my bicycle and driving off to a little wealthier neighborhood than we lived in, and maybe people felt sorry for me, but I, saw, I sold a lot of seeds, mm. and, um, and made good money, and kept some of my own seeds, and started gardening then, yeah.
0: And how long did you do that?
2: I did it for four years until I started a recycling business when I was 12.
1: So not a phase. <laughs> no, it was definitely running. a commitment. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I used to, you know, it was like four packages for a dollar and and um, gosh, I kept reordering those kits and bundling up $1 bills in $10 increments and had a three pound coffee can. You remember those yeah, big yeah. Folgers cans? And yeah. That was my bank.
0: So then for me to ask the question, how is it that what one of my friends says, what gives you permission to do what you do? So what gave you permission to have this business? What you had been in business and had this entrepreneurial bit uh, in your was it in your DNA or is this something you think think is just you? Yeah,
2: sure. I mean, my mom was a great baker, but I was born in 1960. So the 60s were all about convenience foods and you know, every Friday we, um, we were Greek Orthodox and we didn't eat meat. So we would go to Burger Chef and get fish sandwiches and chocolate shakes. And, you know, mom loved the convenience of the sixties and, and convenience foods. And she couldn't cut corners on her baking, but on her Greek pastry baking, but she certainly enjoyed, you know, frozen foods and and things that I just, I really abhorred them as a child. Mm -hmm. And, and I complained. And, um, you know, now that, we're all grown up. I, uh, you know, everyone in the family remembers my stories. And so I, yes, I, I do think it was a DNA thing. I
0: have a, a baker's question cause I am, our listener knows I'm a, sh- a chef in another universe and I love baklava and I've made baklava, but I don't know that I've made it. I mean, I've made it where people like it, but uh-huh. what's the trick?
2: Well, I got up at 530 this morning and made it. Pana for no. a friend's uh, art opening tonight and the trick is olive oil instead of butter hmm.
0: and oh, that's hmm. my
2: trick and everyone even who's on, had, a,
0: on a sweet like baklava
2: yes everyone who's had my baklava we'll, we'll make it together we'll, we'll make it we'll make it together the next time
0: I'm totally doing yeah. that now listener I want you to know that I'm looking at bottles of vinegar and uh, extra virgin olive oil tell us tell us Let's go back to the farm and then how we go from the farm to table because here's here's our table and these are your products. Tell us about them.
2: Well, um, I mean, the story could last hours, but... We have a little bit of (laughs) time. Initially, um, developing the the farm, so to speak came from my wanting uh, greek varietal trees which this backyard olive oil that we're looking at here the california Kodoneiki, Um speaking greek i was challenged to go to greece and and bring in some rootstock from greece really? of trees that did not appear in our own horticulture here or our own environment so i brought in 500 of these trees from crete and I just fell in love with uh, the whole process of, of of plant biology, and I'm I'm not a scientist at all. I'm a, like I said, I'm a graphic designer. But um, plant biology, and, and also uh, terroir, as it sure. uh, as it refers to olive oil, as it refers to wines, and the whole educational factor of why a certain olive can taste different than another that can taste different than the same exact olive on the other side of the world. So my Koroneki tastes completely different than the Koroneki on the island of Crete, Mm, where mm. the trees originate. And these trees are doing great here. We were the first commercial producers of this olive oil in the year 2000. And now you can find California kodoneki, and it it is growing um, relative to... an an option of of fruit varietal but olive oil is so much like wine there are hundreds of kinds of olives there are you know I mean terroir is is, is infinite you know my soil is different than literally the soil across the street exactly um, that
1: blue bottle in your hand right there is the same one that's next to my stove right now and my wife would drink that if I would let her (laughs) That is, that is, that is... That's that the is one. Currently, that is the olive oil of choice is in our it? house. Oh, yes. great. Yeah. Well, great. It was given to us by a friend of ours, uh, I think as a wedding gift. And, uh, Excellent. And we just kind of, we've... Mm, baby gift, Sorry. <laughs> They, Excellent. Well, soon, babies. Soon to be dad yeah. over here. <laughs> Confusing my events. I want
2: to <laughs> yeah. talk about babies and food if we have time and oh, introducing young people to food in a
0: proper way. And, my um, grandson, uh, there's a, one of my favorite pictures that my son sent me. He's 12 now, but when he was two... My son's a chef. And so, sitting in the high chair in the kitchen mm-hmm. uh, with that tray in front of him, and Orion would be cooking, and he would just take a little bit of whatever it was and just put it on the tray. But then he'd drizzle um, EVOO on it. And I was like, so, you know, Mason's got this wonderful palette now right. as a result.
2: Right. And probably a more healthy constitution and yeah, his body. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: No, tell us more. Let's yeah, right well, now is the time. Let's Yeah, because we have about, a, a father to yeah, be tell here. Me so all he about, wants to hear all about that.
1: About it yeah, yeah, evolving palettes. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that, um, I mean, for me, you know, life, life begins with food. And I didn't realize it until, and, and it sounds trite, I'm sure, but
0: nope, nope.
2: I didn't realize it until I, I got into the food business and until I saw all the adulteration going on mm. and, um, you know, tasted, you know, my own fresh olive oil versus olive oil I was getting from the store versus olive oil I would have in Greece or Italy and, you know, it was like the, the query of why this tastes so different hmm. and the, uh, the upset over it, basically, and come to find out that almost 80 percent of olive oils today are adulterated, even though they say extra virgin olive oil at the store level.
1: It says they're right not. on the label. It says right on
2: the label, one hundred percent extra virgin, oil. first cold pressing, yeah. and but yet you hear on so many cooking shows, which by the way, food and cooking have surpassed music as far as entertainment, quote unquote, entertainment goes in our country. Mm. People are really interested in food and the Food Network and, mm-hmm. and all sure, of these shows. Sure. So consequently, they're told on these cooking shows, don't cook with olive oil, and they're told that because this 80% of stuff, I can't call it food, that you get at the grocery store that's cut with other oils will have a low smoke point. So if you have a real extra virgin olive oil, you should be able to fry with it. Mm. And most recently, I, I should have brought the article, but um, I can send it to you. Most recently, there was an article on deep frying with olive oil. Deep that, frying? Deep um, frying. Absolutely. So deep frying, you know, you get one of those little fry baby things. They're yep. preset at about 365 degrees. Right. Which and should,
1: you know, with most of the olive oils we've been taught, that'll burn it out. You, totally yeah, burn yeah, it out. And yeah.
2: it's toxic. Yeah. So everybody's afraid now to give their kids olive oil because they're like, well, I don't know. You know, there, there there becomes this misnomer. There's so much misinformation, not only just about olive oil, but I'm an olive oil producer, so that's um, <laughs> that's my thing today. But um, anyway, so a real olive oil won't smoke if it's used properly. I mean, of course, you could put it on a gas flame on, in, a, in a thin pan, and right. you can get anything to smoke. Yeah. Um, however, a real olive oil extra virgin first cold pressing is just it's the best thing to feed your baby it's the best thing to feed um you know as they um, come off their mother's milk and get into solids it's the healthiest fat you can you can give a child and you know what's the first thing most kids eat a grilled cheese sandwich so what's the first thing that goes into the pan butter so but if you use olive oil it tastes better. Um, the two fats combine. You know, butter fat is, is really a competition with with cheeses, mm-hmm. especially if you're using a good cheddar cheese. Um, if you use an olive oil with the cheddar cheese, from a flavor standpoint, I, I would I would just bet anyone doing blind tastings the olive oil grilled cheese sandwich is going to be the preferred. Well,
1: I think we need taste. a grilled
0: cheese. Well, cook I, can, off. well <laughs> I can I can
1: tell you right now, it happened last mm-hmm. week between me and my wife, and oh. she, and she made she made her <laughs> grilled cheese. Um, And then, or uh, no, it wasn't, anyway, she made her sandwich and then she went and sat down, then I made my sandwich and I came and sat down and she sat there and looked at me because she was having sandwich envy because I used (sighs) that exact blue bottle to make to, to to make my grilled cheese sandwich. Are you just saying that? No, I'm no, not. <laughs> no, 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 That is a, He that does is,
0: not pander. That is a true <laughs>
1: fact. I'm kind of. I was over here messing with the dials, and I was like, oh, we have olive oil, and nothing. And I turn around and I look, and I see that blue bottle sitting there, and I'm just like, oh, oh, oh <laughs> this is going to be what fun. an irony. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Well, what a well, what an obvious uh, coincidence that I I enjoy quality uh, products. Mm-hmm. See, there you go. Yeah. No, there but it, that sandwich was amazing, and and she sat. I gave her the other half of my sandwich because. Nice. It was better than the one. <laughs> that, that is she, so nice. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, tell me more about. Um, so you you have the you had the five hundred trees. How many trees do you have now?
2: Um, we planted. We ended up planting two thousand trees up in Los Alamos. Yeah, and small expansion. I sold that property to Jim Clendenin in '04. Um, it was his original Oban Climat, and yeah. I had adopted a couple of, of lovely girls from the country of Nepal and wanted to live more in town than than in town, if Los Olivos can be in town. (laughs) Um, So I purchased a three-acre piece just outside of Los Olivos, and we have 60 olive trees there, mostly our table olives, which I brought today as well. And, um, but we do have the the Kodoneki. I have 60 Kodoneki trees there. And as we build out the property and and build this little permaculture school, I'm very excited about. Hey, what's permaculture? um,
0: Yeah, what is permaculture?
2: Permaculture. That's a, that's a, it's, it's, to narrow it down, I would say that the easiest way to describe it is planet care and, and people care. And, you know, beyond being, 100% 100% sustainable and, and off the grid and people think oh gosh that's just for hippies um, you know it's it's something I'm very excited about I, I did get my international permaculture certification a couple of months ago I'm working on my uh, teaching certification and um, writing for permaculture magazine I've got a couple articles I'm working on for them um, one being uh, with ecotherapy and the other one being uh, on the facility out at Quail Springs, which is in Cuyama, which is a just an incredible learning center, 400 acres in our backyard that a lot of people don't know about. It's just north of Ojai, and um, that's where I got my international certification. And there are just world-renowned permaculture leaders teaching there. And and anyway, I you know that's a whole another. Um, educational my, my whole thing with food is is educating just like you know from the babies to the sandwiches right. to flavor to um, you know the psychology and the, you know the touch and the texture and the taste of food and why there's such an adversity to food and 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 all of those things for me come together at the end of the day with, with permaculture because it's it's really how I believe we all need to look at living, especially being in a bigger in bigger cities and relative to the resilience of our planet. I mean, no matter where your politics go, we have some issues here right. that are happening and there is there is something that everybody can do. And what people is that? just throw their hands up. Um, I think the number one thing, if I had to pick just one, would probably be composting.
0: Mm. Huh. Tell us why.
2: Because composting takes literally nutrients that are scraps from our plates right. and turns it into soil. And there's a fascinating book out there called The Soil Will Save Us. And I went to a, a conference, um, a soils conference in LA of a all soils places. Soils conference.
1: It
0: was a soil. Awesome.
1: (laughs) We've we've had some of our best shows (laughs) here have been about dirt. We (laughs) have really good (laughs) dirt shows. He says
0: we're doing a show on dirt. How is that going to go? And it was the guy who the CEO of Agramin, and how they convert at mass scale that green waste. Mm -hmm. He called it the waste stream. I think it was these waste Mm -hmm. streams into like forty different uh, soils that are tuned for very specific. So you're you're hip to all of that, of course. Well, don't get me started, you know, she <laughs> said. That was the look on her face was, don't get me I started. Could, I could go right, on about we're gonna, dirt. T- we're going to talk yeah. about dirt.
2: Yeah, dirt, you know, terroir. We, we started with terroir, which well, is a course, fancy word for dirt. Well, of course, dirt, right. And, um just, you know, the wonderment of dirt and soil and farming and how we farm. And, you know, I'm a no-till farmer and so many big agri-farmers. No-till. no-till.
0: Hmm. Sorry, we, we play something called buzzword bingo on the show. <laughs> because there are, again, 42 countries, so people don't necessarily know. So it's my job when I, we hear a word like that to say, okay, hold it. What's no-till farming? No-till. So no, no no-till. Till. Yes. Okay, okay, keep going. What is that?
2: So it basically means that you don't till the ground because the ground... How do you farm ground, and not till? You just, you dig. And tilling has caused so much erosion, especially with big agri-farming. And um, big agri-farming is the smart farmers are going to no-till. And I have friends in the Midwest who have old family farms there that are big, huge corn and soybean producers and I've spoken with them about it and a lot of them are totally on board with with no till. And it, it literally rapes the soil of of nutrients to to keep tilling and to have it blow off. I mean it literally the nutrients blow away. And if you keep the nutrients in the ground, you know, it causes a, a regeneration of CO2 and all all the good things that the environment needs to and you know I mean again I'm not a scientist I'm, I'm not an expert I just I got fascinated with these subjects going to these conferences and, and going to the mm-hmm. EcoFarm conference up at Asilomar um, in, um, in in the Carmel area and really educating myself on on farming and the resilience of the planet and that's where I was introduced to just the concept of, of permaculture and, and what excites me about permaculture personally is the the people care part of it and the ecotherapy part of it. Because as a child um, and and as an adult, as as I've gotten older, I have always been one to turn to nature for relaxation. And a lot of us do and, and we don't know why. And I'm always on a quest for the answers to the whys. And the whole social aspect of the people care part of permaculture speaks to speaks to that for me
0: so staying on the people part you you now you so you have a storefront right up in los olivos right
2: yeah it's a i call it a farm stand
0: a farm stand okay i like that that's the evo- evokes <laughs> a completely different vibe and um, they come up and taste your olive oil and they could buy your olive oil of course right and buy olives so are so just a technical question are you uh Do you just harvest from your 60 trees and sell from your 60 trees, or are you buying fruits from the original 2,000 trees?
2: Correct. So when Jim bought the property, he and I agreed that I would um, maintain the harvest of those 2,000 trees I planted. So that is the bulk of of my olive oil. Um, What I grow at our little Los Olivos farm stand is... um, obviously much less from a quantity standpoint. And then I also harvest a couple of other groves in the region, uh, varietals that I don't grow. And um, I have, you know, some clients who are planting olive groves of varietals I want. So I'm, I'm consulting with people in the valley and, and kind of selfishly planning ahead for olive oil yield and the Sandinus Valley. Is it selfish when Valley. you're going to give
1: so many people <laughs> happiness? Is it, Can you really call it selfishness when it's... I mean, we, we, we talk it's about... It's like, no,
2: don't plant that variety. Well, we, we don't need that variety. We talk
1: about this all the time when we're, you know, we, we live in a place that's kind of a glut for, like, wonder and magic and goodness Right. Uh, it in the form of foods, you know, that we have, you know, our farmer's market. We have people who are, you know, just like bringing, just bringing the most amazing versions of each thing and then they're in competition with somebody else who's making the most amazing version you know, I think about the wine industry and so forth like like the olive oils that we have are this kind of like, we're in like that, that Olympic Training zone of olive oils, where it's like you know, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. Like the the competition is so strong, and and then it makes it makes this like this group of people who are tasting them very like nuanced, and we Mm. we know the difference between the things that we like. And I think it's just wonderful that we're that that you're you know, it's not selfish. It's uh, a control thing. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, we talk about this all the time that we want a better place, we want a better place to live, and it's like I don't necessarily want to be the person in charge of olive oil, but I sure do like that. There's somebody out there. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm glad you do. Yeah, yes,
0: right. We need somebody who wants yes, there's to. there's a space for you, perfect space <laughs> well, for you. Oh, thanks.
1: We need people who are obsessive about making better grilled cheese sandwiches. That right. needs to happen. <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: And it's, our, and it's our role to talk about, to tell those stories. We should not settle for mediocre. Exactly. Why would we, why would we do that? It's terrible. How thing. did vinegar play into this story?
2: Well, when I first bought the ranch in Los Alamos, there were probably a couple of hundred raspberry canes growing. And I, you know, being a marketing executive, looked at those raspberry canes and I thought, gosh, we'll just harvest them and and sell them. And um, so I sold them to the local health food store and I made about $40 that year. And and not that I'm, you know, a capitalist or anything, but I enjoy reaping the rewards of, of my labor and sure. paying my bills and $40 wasn't going to do it. And I, it was literally $40 that I made on those raspberries. Off
0: of that many canes.
2: So, yeah. So, um, I decided the next year to purchase a, a very large freezer from Costco and <laughs> every berry I picked, I, I learned how to properly freeze it. And I had a freezer just bulging with berries and this was uh, 1996, And I went up to Napa because Napa at the time had a a fledging, you know, they're 20 years ahead of us with planting wine grapes. They did it in the 50s. We did it in the 70s. They're 20 years ahead of us with olive oil. And I was the first to plant olives for olive oil in Santa Barbara County. So I would go up there, up to the Napa Sonoma region, and I made friends, um, colleagues with other olive oil producers. And, you know, it was was a wonderful time. And and consequently, of course, I would do some wine tasting. And I met a woman whose family is a fifth-generation winemaker up there and and Karen's about my age, and she was making vinegars. And mm. um, just getting started making champagne vinegar, that was her first one. And I told her, I tasted her vinegar, and I told her about the berries. So that's, um, that's kind of how it all got started.
0: What's your favorite vinegar?
2: Oh, my gosh. Put me on the spot. Probably the fig balsamic. Ooh. And um, I mean, I, I probably use that one as far as uh, as reductions and you know doing more elaborate things with them but you know i have cocktail recipes on all my vinegars um, people like to put sugar in things shrubs are really popular today mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and sugar makes me sad i mean sure i just you know there's nobody who loves to eat or or have good food than me but i just i use so little sugar and really i believe that most things are calling for acidity and people don't understand acidity and so that's why I do have cocktail recipes on the front of so all my vinegars. So as far as the cocktails go, the apricot one, um, I do a bourbon uh, a, a bourbon cocktail. Which is all the sugar the, you need. That's right. all that the bourbon exactly. is
1: plenty of sugar.
2: Exactly, thank you. Yeah. And and when people taste these cocktails, they're just like, Oh my god, you know, they totally get it. And
0: so um, vinegar in a cocktail.
2: Yeah, well, you, you squeeze lemon in a cocktail. And I used to drink Acid, straight bourbon sure. with a wedge, and people yeah. would look at me weird, but it's fantastic. And then when I started making um, vinegars, I, I started using them, and I make something we call a calatini with the with this blood orange balsamic, and it's incredible. And, and so... Um, I found that really acidity as a replacement for sugar in a lot of things. I mean, look at look at baklava. Baklava is nothing without the lemon, the lemon right. syrup that goes right. on it, right. and, and it's right. really the acidity that that brings out the flavor. I,
0: I
1: have a I have a as I get older and and look around, and I also I grew up um, just behind you, in the manufactured food world where everything was soup can, everything was. Uh, you know, hungry man dinner type style where it's like, you know, that was, that was a normal component of our diet was this manufactured food, this highly processed manufactured food. And now as an adult and, you know, facing the impending birth of my child, I'm like, I just don't want her to know what a chicken nugget tastes like. I just want her to just (laughs) never have that experience. But one of the conversations that we're having a lot is around this addiction to sugar that we have. Mm -hmm. And, and, and where probably if you replace that with acid or fats or other things that are perfectly healthy for you, um, they will that when you're when you're craving that sugar, that sweetness, probably your body's craving protein or craving something else. That's or our, chocolate or chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> our midwives keep telling us that. like don't 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 fill every craving with the same solution because that might not actually be what your body's it's craving
2: it's true and and we cook with the vinegars as well um you know and i use the word at at our tasting bar the tasting bar at the farm stand by the way is is all about education Mm -hmm. and um so every taste that we do we go through how to use that particular product or how we like to use it and with the vinegars you can put them in a skillet i don't use fat to cook fats and everybody is Mm -hmm. is always in, in shock about that but when i'm cooking chicken, I use acidity to cook it. And what happens is the natural fats, I mean, everybody hates the word fat, but there's our fats and everything, even tofu. Mm. And these are great for braising tofu, by the way. Mm. And so if you put acidity in the skillet in the form of our vinegars, and cook in them then a beautiful demi-glaze forms um i mean there's a certain trick to using them i do have protein recipes on on all of the vinegars as well and people are shocked when they taste the result because you you know your impetus is to add oil you mm-hmm. add oil to the steak you know put oil on on the steak before you throw it on the grill well if you put some of this apricot vinegar on your ribeye steak with salt and pepper and garlic. To, f- to finish? Um, to no, as a as a marinator. Just just to adhere. You know, we we oil steaks. Why do we Why do we oil steaks? So that the salt and pepper sticks, or so right. that your herbs stick, or whatever. But if you use the vinegar instead, it's incredible. Hmm. So it's it just adds a dimension because the steak already has its delicious fat. So.
1: I just, I, I, you know, I mean, this is that same thing with cooking. I'm cooking an awful lot these days, you know, because, you know, you have to keep a pregnant lady fed. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, I'm up for any, like, any addition or change to the, because we've got, how many dishes, you know, does an average person have that they're really...
2: In your repertoire.
1: Right. right. You know, Uh and like, if you had 10, you're doing great. Right. Right. Um, And so when somebody says, oh, you know, if you just change the way you cook this steak... It's gonna, you know,
0: why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't there's a whole new give world? Give it a
1: new shot, yeah. We did that with salmon the other night. We put a balsamic, uh, exactly. reduction on it, and it was exactly, and it changed completely. Same right. cut of fish that, that yeah. we've been using every, you know, fish once a week for the for the girl, and now you throw in uh, uh that fl- it was an amazing flavor, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. And my wife's just looking at me like, you just knew how to do this, and I'm like, no, I just, I just. Sorry, because she thought I'd been holding back. She thought oh, I like, <laughs> like, now you're giving it up. Hiding the sauce from her, but it turns out no. Hey, baby, what you don't know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've got a reduction in my back pocket.
0: <laughs> now, you also have a, a jar of, of almonds here. And I, uh, you know, so our listener knows I love to cook. He's cradling
1: those. I'm totally <laughs> cradling those. <laughs>
0: <on>, because <laughs> I. you holding um, a jar of almonds. Well, because I do uh, an herbed cashew, a chili lemon or chili oh, lime nice. cashew and uh, the same thing with almonds and the challenge for me is um getting the um the herb to stick to the nut that's always a challenge and so i was doing it with oils and that totally didn't work Mm -hmm. and i read somewhere uh, to do with an egg white and life changed and now i can't make and i probably go through five pounds of those and then they're given away to everybody Uh, A week. Well, what what are the other techniques? So, so that's because I'm looking at this, thinking, okay, so how do you, well, a, why, where did almonds come into the your this story?
2: In the neighborhood, Mm. so they're right um, there. Yeah, the first, um, our first retail experience was at Buttonwood Farms, and they had almonds growing there, and I do make spice blends. And well,
0: you make um,
2: spice blends as well. I do spice blends and appetizer spreads and sauces. And, and, I mean, I make this. about 40 food products. Oh and, what? Um, yeah. yeah. That's a lot. And we have a club, and, and, and the club, you know, was formed really out of the conversation of what to cook for dinner. And mm. um, so we were actually the first in the country to have a club that was comprehensive enough to include recipes and not just olive oil but um, olive oil, vinegar, and a third cooking selection. So it's either a spice blender or an appetizer spread. We always do snacks around the holidays, and then we, we have snacks in the summertime too for wine country, uh, picnic baskets, and, and mm. things like that. And now that we make table olives, we've just been producing table olives for a couple of years now, and I'm really excited about them because they're organic. and. Um, you cannot find an organic olive at the grocery store because it takes four months to actually cure an olive organically and we do it on salt water uh, takes we, we change the water every week i have a, a formula that's really really nice and it, it took me a few years to come up with that and so the olives i brought today are organic uh, the calamadas are actually grown up at rancho lacuna in los alamos and then i grow Chedignolas at my property in in Los Olivos. And uh, we're building a greenhouse either later this fall or, or first, of, uh, first of winter. And we'll be propagating some of these unusual olive trees I have because we can't find them to buy them hmm. as far as some of the table olive varietals. Like the real Kalamata with the K... You know, very, very difficult to find a real Kalamata tree for sale. Same thing with the Chirignola. Those, I don't know if you're familiar with those. Those I'm really not... big green. yeah,
1: um, I love mine. Big yeah. as your thumb. The ones you love but you don't know the name of. Yes, yeah, you that know, one. and yeah. talk
2: about steak. I mean, they taste like oh, meat. Yeah. They're so good when they're yeah. done organically. And the ones you get at these, you know, big olive bars, um, you know, not to slam the big grocery stores that have those. Big olive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is out there. Yeah. Um, you know, they're just, they're, so much of the of the flavors are leached out because they use lye to literally leach out that negative viscosity and that spewing story that we started with, right. so um, lye works, lye works really fast, but it's also an acid and a chemical, and I don't want anything to do with it, so... Um, that's yes. why we do the, the saltwater
1: cure. We talk all the time about, um, and I, I've brought this up several times now today, but about um, value. A, l- a, lot of, a lot of people look for that profit margin and, and especially in, in, in big operations where they're going to they're, they're trying to look for like what is the, 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 you know the biggest profit margin we can create for the cost of this olive? And I, I always feel like isn't there a value added to an olive that doesn't have lime in? it, who doesn't have that kind of extra, terrible thing in it mm-hmm. isn't can't mm-hmm. you wouldn't shouldn't we equate that profit margin you know should I, I guess maybe i'm not explaining this well but that idea of like i that's why people are willing to pay more for an organic is because they didn't have to that that profit margin didn't have to be so tight right exactly
2: sense. yeah or you know even the the whole aspect of of knowing your farmer and seeking right. out your farmer. I mean, yeah. now with the internet, you can buy from farmers all over the country and it's its really beautiful because we, we can have clients. Um, we do ship to Canada even. The U.S. Postal Service is really food friendly with oh, nice. things that are packaged. And, How about
0: to one of our, um, the 41 other countries so, that are listening? Um, can Do you ship?
2: Absolutely, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not cheap, but um, we use the postal service. Um, some destinations are, are cheaper than others and we have club customers In Ireland, England, Canada, um, South America, and of course, mostly in the United States. But
1: um, if you have a barber, shouldn't you also have an olive oil person? (laughs) That's what I'm saying, right? You know, it's like, who's your barber? I have a barber. I've been going to that barber for eight years. I have an olive oil person. I've been going to them for eight years. You know, like like they are the ones who provide my family with this thing. Where do we find
0: Where do we find this club on the internet?
2: GlobalGardensOnline.com.
0: And you said you were the first to do this. What what got you thinking about that? I mean, how did that work? I, I love these stories of being the first at a thing. You you don't realize you're the first at it. just like there was a need, you did it, and then someone says, oh, yeah, and now you were the first.
2: You know, I have to say there was an olive oil, and there is an olive oil club, um, and um, that, that uh, was, a, was a big deli in um, – Oh, God, the name of it is just totally eluding me. Uh, Zingerman's. Uh, Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor, Michigan, um, introduced me to the concept of Olive Oil Club. Yeah, Ann Arbor, Michigan um, sounds like a big olive oil place. They're (laughs) definitely olive farmers up there not. Anyway, um, but, you know, great deli, great reputation. And um, when I first started growing olives, I was so excited, and I joined their club, and I was so disappointed, and I thought, I can do this a lot better. And so it wasn't something that I conceived, it was just something that I chose to do better and then include with not just olive oil, include some of my other food products that, that go together as a trio, because I realized that people, people want things that taste good, but they equate health food with you know granola or cardboard yeah. right yeah. exactly that's right, the right, word right, right, that's exactly the word what was so the word what did you say restrictive, restrictive or yeah. restriction yeah so yeah. it's like oh i can't have that because it's not healthy it's like no you can have so much more yeah. and you know <laughs> Just it's like a better when you make popcorn object, yeah. when you when, when you make popcorn with olive oil and like the greek spice blend that we use on these almonds i mean it's like the best popcorn you've ever had right and and i make meals out of, out of popcorn mm-hmm. and um so, so anyway, the, whole, the, the club thing resulted from people really wanting to know how to make food taste good. Or if they came to my house, it's like, how can I make this at home? Or if they came to um, you know, Buttonwood and would have baklava in the in the you know showing people how we use um the blood orange olive oil that we infuse to make the pastry um to make it taste better and healthier and people look at baklava and say oh, i can't i can't oh, got yeah, so i got so many calories and it's like you know what the way we do it and there's hardly any sugar in it at all
1: it's just a food. and
2: yeah. yeah and i mean there is like one teaspoon of
1: sugar. It's actually, per really, case. with the, with the pistachios and the, and the nuts, it's a very high protein yeah. object. It's almost it's almost a, a like a power bar. Yeah, you know when you think of it, it's ground up pistachios. You've
0: just redefined baklava for me. There I you need, go. It's a power need bar. Need you can power bar <laughs> from Greece. Let's not put yeah. off tasting. Yeah, longer. I want to I want to do a little tasting. So um, so listener, uh, what I, I'm gonna uh, we'll have some pictures of this uh, up on the the site, and we've got. Um, you're, you have this, um, it looks like a painter's palette. Um, Isn't that actually, cute? You know. It was
2: inspired by a painter's palette. But painter's palettes have 10 wells instead of 12, and these actually have some numbers, our tasting trays have numbers, one through 12, and we work it just like a clock. And I design this, uh, being a graphic designer, just uh, I think so that when I'm doing large groups, like we have these tasting kits that come in boxes over the holidays. And then I do um, large groups with the tasting kits. We make them um, customized per, per groups that we do. And I do groups. I do group education all over the country. I have a new cookbook coming out first of November. And I love taking this tasting kit on the on the road because people get little bottles. It's fun. It's cute. It's colorful. And actually, one of my club customers owns a plastic injection molding company down in Florida, and he makes these for me. So we designed it together. And um, so it's... A tasting tray that I pour by robustness. So, the first one I poured, the Artabiquinha, is really fruity and almost goes a little sweet. And the second one I poured is the backyard and it has a woodsy terroir. Our property in los olivos is on a year-round creek the alamo pentado creek and that that goes to the ocean and and you literally i think get some of that that dynamic on it i don't know if you did on your grilled cheese sandwich oh, yeah. but um <laughs> and then uh, the splendor in the grass um Last year we called it "kiss my grass," but this year it's softer, so we called it Slender in the grass." So, um, and kids, you know, kids love to come in and, and taste, and and so I poured three olive oils here in succession of robustness. We actually have ten of them at the at the at the farm stand that we pour, and then we'll do combinations with the balsamics themselves. And then the combinations that we pour are typically our, our club pairings. So I create a, a trio of, of products that go together, and, and recipes that, that go together with those three products. And um,
0: so the vinegars you've got an apricot golden balsamic, which just you look at it, it's amazing. Then a, a blood orange golden balsamic, and then this one that you're pouring now is... My most
2: recent, and I'll put it here by itself, but I did pair it with the backyard for this season's club selection. And it's paired with ginger and a dark balsamic. So, the balsamics do originate as California wines... The alcohol is cooked to zero in big stainless steel tanks, aged in oak for one year, and then infused with fruit. So um, they do, like some of them, especially the golden balsamics, which are chardonnays, they can get a little oaky. Not the citrus one, but perhaps the apricot one. That's why it's so... So good with bourbon. And um, the pear with ginger balsamic is a favorite of mine for for cooking. Um, I love to crisp tofu with it, and I use it instead of soy sauce. I'm, I'm just not a big soy sauce fan. A lot of people are, don't realize that there's gluten in right, soy sauce. Right, and right. so, I mean, we use organic tamari in my pomegranate glaze, um, which does not contain right, contain exactly. soy. But this is a, a really killer um replacement for for soy sauce and, and you get the flavors you like which is the fruit from the pear and the, the denseness of the uh, Cabernet merlot balsamic with the with the ginger and um,
0: one of my favorite treats is um, during pear season to um, <clears throat> yes yeah, let's do that uh, is to um, take pears and I wait till the two days before you would normally eat the pear and then I slice them on a mandolin and then um, I dip them, I make a slurry of, um, of ginger and coconut sugar.
2: Oh. And
0: then I dehydrate them oh. at, and keep them raw at 105 degrees. And those pear, cri- pear ginger crisps are insane. great. We'll have good. to trade. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to taste, and, and I'm sorry, dear listener,
1: I can just mute his mic while he does this. You don't have to chew in the mic. You can drink it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I tried the first one. I can't say that word.
2: Arbiquina. It's a Spanish varietal grown here. Um, the coroneki is our backyard varietal, the, the trees that I brought in from Crete. And then we have a more common California mission manzanilla in the, in the splendor in the grass. And, and what I wanted to say about vari- going back to varietals is that we do have an olive pest now to deal with. And um, oh. the California indigenous varietals are a lot more pest Attractors than say the arbequina or the the coroneki and the and the Italian varietals the chardignola, and it's really fascinating to look at things in the olive grove and see what's being attacked and what's not. We're using the exact same organic spray on on the exact same number of trees, and and so well, therein lies another uh, reason for choosing varietals that I'm choosing right now with my consulting.
0: I think I'm going to mainline the pear ginger. Yeah, that's vinegar. the
2: one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That's it. Yeah. Well, you didn't taste the you didn't taste the other ones yet.
0: This this is absolutely amazing. And but I'm looking at the clock, and I'm, and we're we are at the end of our lovely adventure here. I want I I did have one question though, because uh, we we talk about business a lot on the show. When I like to talk about food food and business. What's been the biggest surprise for, on the business side for you?
2: I would say that it has been finding profitability and it took me so long and i i have to admit that i almost i almost lost everything um um, you know five six years ago i um was used to being in the advertising and, and creative industry and i felt like I, when I when I launched this business I needed to take it into wholesale immediately which is what I did and I pictured a big brand because I had developed big brands for other people and the food industry is so cutthroat and the whole mm. distribution network and you, you said something earlier about um, you know olive oil and, and pricing and you know you can go to Costco and get a, a liter of olive oil for 699 because they're making money on the toilet paper and the vacuum cleaner you're gonna the buy club, the club membership. you know so yeah. the big um, the big box stores that the you know grocery stores they can they can sell anything for anything just to get people to buy it and you know as a farmer you just you don't have that luxury so you know i finally found my stride with nice. um buying the three acres in los olivos and, and having the farm stand there which nice. has been a huge relief yeah
0: thank you so much for thank coming. you and and uh, i want to thank kat who introduced us oh
2: right
0: uh, uh, which was very nice I, again our, our listener knows that um all of the guests come from referrals, right? We mm-hmm. get to, to, to meet these amazing people. And and when they bring food, that's even more fun. <laughs> uh, so our I listener no idea. also knows that it's this point of the show where I give you, I endow you with um, superpowers to be able to name this episode. So we give it a name. So it's going to live on the Internet with this name. And what, what do you think the name of this show is?
2: Um, let's call it... Food for resilience.
0: Food for resilience. Okay, I love it. And food for flavor, this, the tastes here. The, and using vinegars, and, because my wife only eats, the only protein she eats is salmon. Mm-hmm. And so this just opened up a whole new world Great uh, for us. So thank you so much Excellent. for that. And we can find you at globalgardensonline.com. That's correct. Perfect. And so people could join the club or they could... If They can buy any of these things and have them shipped. Absolutely.
2: Send me an email if you have any questions. I'm very customer friendly. I am. Uh, I insist on being the voice of of our customer service. Sure, sure. And so wherever I am in the world, um, I'm speaking at a convention in Crete in a couple of weeks, but I'm sure I'll be emailing customers from wherever I am.
0: I love that. And I also want to thank California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Wiker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. If you're interested in partnering with our podcast, drop us a note to partner at 805connect.com. And Patrick, yep. um, uh, in between grilled cheese sandwiches, sure. Uh, what could our listener do to help us right now?
1: Well, r- rate, write, review. You know, give us uh, give us some information about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Uh, send Mark an email. Um, and also, you know, if you've got a barber, then you probably also need to have an olive oil farmer. Yep. So uh, <laughs> get one. Uh, even if it's not local to you, uh, even if you live in, Ann Arbor, doesn't Michigan, matter. Get yourself, um, get yourself connected to those purveyors who a can farmer. Yeah, a farmer. Get yourself a farmer. Yeah, right. They're there out you. there. <laughs> they would love to meet you. Yeah. Be, See? yeah hey, far Mr. Enough. Farmer. Yeah. Maybe
2: we should change the name of the show to get yourself a farmer. Get yourself a farmer. <laughs> I like that better. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it's. It's. I just. I find it very important to know the people in my life. Me who, too. Who. Uh, you know. Who are doing the things like feeding me. It's well, that,
0: that's part of the, the, the renaissance I think we're having with, with craft everything now. We want to celebrate the craftsmen in our lives and the makers in our lives. I love that and, we,
1: we treat it like a new thing when really it's just thousands of years old. Right. Now, like, knowing your community. <laughs> Let's call it a movement.
0: <laughs> I love that. If you um, have someone that you'd love us to talk to, maybe someone who started their own movement. Uh, That would be fantastic. That's where we get all our guests. Drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. Thank you in advance. I appreciate hearing from all of you. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.